grab our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter number 2 as we continue our series in this book of Scripture as Peter is writing to a group of people not unlike us today, people who are experiencing pressure in life, people who are experiencing the pressure of the culture that's around them, the pressure of the sin that's before them, the pressure of the flesh that pulls against them. And yet they're called to serve God. They're called to remain faithful. We've called this series Under Pressure. So we're going to jump right into our text this morning. We're in 2 Peter chapter number 2. And we're going to begin reading with verse number 11. And if you found your place there and you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, Ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who is who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Let's pray. There's a lot we're going to deal with this morning. A lot of things that are difficult for us to grab onto in even the tenuous environment that we live in today. And nevertheless, it is the truth of God's word. And we in his spirit are capable of obeying him and producing the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And so let's pray and ask God to help us not just learn today, but to apply this truth. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning, acknowledging that we need help. We do, God. We need help. Uh, We try to do a lot of things in our flesh We try to stand in in our own strength many times. And yet, God, you don't call us to stand in our own strength. You call us to trust you and to be faithful in your spirit. 
and to accomplish your will in our life. And so, God, I pray that even in the environment that we live in today, that we would be a people who would stand in your truth and in your strength. Help us with this and help us to be obedient to what you teach us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, the title of our message is Pilgrims But Purposed. Pilgrims But Purposed. And this is the tendency. We've been learning that we are pilgrims, that we are strangers in a strange land, that we don't belong here. We do not belong here. If you're saved, you do not belong here. This isn't your permanent abode. And we all said what? Amen. We're going somewhere else. In fact, our home is already in heaven. Paul put it this way. My citizenship is already in heaven. And so that's where we're headed. And sometimes, if we're not careful as Christians, our approach to life here on earth will tend to be, let's just hang on and survive until Jesus comes. Hey, we're in a place we don't like a whole lot. We're in a situation that we don't want to really become that familiar with. This world is not my home anyway. My home's in heaven, so I'm just going to hang on. I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to survive until Jesus comes. (laughs) Let's be honest. How many of you felt that way before, right? I mean, the, the more that we see uh, that day approach, the more it's tempting to just be like, all right, just come tomorrow, Jesus. Just come right now, Jesus. And we're just kind of hanging on. And, and what we're being encouraged with by the Apostle Peter this morning in the Scripture is, is not just to survive life, not just to hang on with both hands as tightly as we can, but even though we're pilgrims here on earth, we have a purpose that we're called to. And even the difficult things in life that we go through have a purpose behind them. Like God is actually working through those things in our life to produce the things that he desires. How many of you, you have something that's going to happen this week that you're not looking forward to? Okay, half of you are saved and telling the truth and half of you are liars. Okay. Because every one of our hands should go up in the air. We all have something. Maybe you have a surgery this week. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment this week. Maybe you have a bill you have to pay this week. Maybe you're going to experience pressure from some form of life, and you know about it this week. You're already dreading it. You're already thinking, God, how are you going to use this thing in my life? I'd rather just not go through this. I'm just going to hang on and survive. Well, here's our approach, Christian. It's not about just hang on and survive. We are pilgrims, but we're pilgrims with a purpose. And so this morning... I want to show at least three purposes that we see here in Scripture that Peter's going to encourage us in. All right? So let's dig into our passage this morning. First of all, I want us to see purposed living. Purposed living. Notice with me the first couple of verses that we read to start off our text this morning. Verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I know you're strangers. I know you're pilgrims. I know this world's not your home. But don't just close your eyes and plug your ears and go la, 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 la through life. Wake up. I am using you. And here's how I want to use you. And notice what he says. He says this. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So the first thing I want us to see in our purposed living this morning is just say no. How many of you are old enough to remember those campaigns? I think Nancy Reagan came up with that for like say no to drugs and then some sports people. And it seemed like when I was a kid growing up, that was like the predominant commercials on TV. Now you know how old I am. And it was just say no. 
Just say no. Well, that's kind of the thrust of what Peter is saying is our purpose in living this morning. Is he saying in a world that wants to say yes to all of these fleshly lusts, that wants to live in its own strength and its own power, that's pushing it down our throats, that's advertising it on every billboard, that's putting it in front of our face constantly. Peter's saying, abstain from those fleshly lusts. And this is our tendency in our flesh. When we're experiencing pressure, when that pressure is coming on our flesh, our flesh many times wants to react and respond to that pressure by finding some kind of self-gratification. It wants to be soothed. It wants to be, it wants to have its felt needs met. It wants to experience some form of comfort. And in that search for comfort outside of God, many times we're tempted to fall into the comforts and pleasures and lusts of this world. And this has become a snare for many Christians who were living their lives for God. In fact, there are many, many stories, many occurrences, many instances where even high-profile Christians have succumbed to the lust of the flesh and it has besmirched their testimony and it has ridiculed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and it has not helped the Christian witness and testimony. And so even though life is hard here on earth and even though we experience many times intense pressure on our flesh here on earth, our purpose in living is to just say no. Say no to fleshly lusts. Abstain from them. Put them aside. Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, his son in the faith, encouraging him in the ministry and in the work of God. And he said, flee youthful lusts. The book of Proverbs is really a whole book of scripture about a dad walking his son through life and pointing at the drunkard and say, flee being drunk. And pointing at the prostitute and saying, flee fornication. And pointing at this issue of lustly life or that issue of lustly life and saying, abstain from it. And by the way, we've already learned here in the book of 1 Peter that we are called to holiness and righteousness. And how many of you are glad this morning that if you are saved, God does not see your sinful self. He sees his sanctified son because we're clothed in his righteousness and we ought to live in his righteousness. That's our calling. And so our calling is not just to hang on and survive and fulfill every fleshly lust that'll just get us through another day. Our purpose is to just say no. Abstain from fleshly lust. And we know what they are, and I want to hit on a couple of them that are prevalent today, and I think entrapping and ensnaring a lot of believers. First of all, I believe that in the church today, there's a significant misuse of um, alcohol and drugs. Say, Pastor, that's not happening in the church. Uh, it's happening in the church. I'm not saying it's happening in our church. I'm saying in the church as a whole, the, the Christian community has given themselves over to being controlled by substances other than the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you know people live tough and many times because of the way this world's philosophies are, meaningless lives? Seriously. They're taught they come from nothing, that they're going nowhere, that they're a random accident. And this, this 
philosophy has worked its way into the church as the church has become more and more liberal theologically. And as a result, the same means of gratifying the flesh exist within the church as exist within the world. And many Christians are given over to much wine and many Christians are given over to much drugs. And this has become something that really has pressed against the people of God. And this is the admonition from Scripture, flee fleshly lust. Can I get one amen this morning? And I've seen these fleshly lusts entangle and ensnare the people of God to where they are not effective in their witness and in their testimony and in their ministry. And we need to be careful of it. The other thing that I find is very prevalent in our culture today is sexual lust. And this is propagated through media, it's propagated through entertainment, it's propagated through the proliferation of pornography, which, by the way, is rampant on so many levels. Listen to me, in the church of God today. And it is, it is quelling and tamping down the vibrancy of the Spirit of God primarily in men's lives today where they're not treating their, their sanctified, holy relationship with their wives with respect and instead are entering into these fleshly lusts through pornography, through uh, entertainment, through these types of venues. And let me just tell you something. This is something that will ensnare and entangle the souls of men. It will prevent you from really stepping into that leadership position in your marriage, in your home, with your kids, because this is a device of Satan that works against the callings of God in our life. And let me just tell you, this has run so rampant in our world today that it's not just men, it's women, it's men, it's, it's children, how many of you know we've never lived in a day and age more rampant with sexual lust than we do today, and it's showing up in even child trafficking today? Child trafficking has become one of the most prevalent forms of evil in our culture today. And listen, pornography is the foundation for all of it. It has primed the pump for all of this stuff to happen, and you don't see men standing up, very many, you don't see them standing up very strong against this today because in many cases, they're entrapped and they're ensnared in it themselves, and they don't feel like they have the ability in their character to stand up against it. We, hey, listen, how many of you understand, we need to get pure before God again in the church. Pastor, we're all good church people. Why are you preaching this hard of a message? We're all good church people. We're on your side, Pastor. I get I'm on your side. You're on my side. But how many of you know the world's not on our side? And Satan's not on our side. And as this pressure comes and, and we buckle to the flesh, there's a tendency to bring these lusts of the flesh into our, our life. I, I, I believe that gluttony, anger, you, could, you could put all kinds of different lusts of the flesh in here that we use to soothe ourselves with and that we don't have a very good tendency to abstain from and to say no to. And I'm just saying, we're called not to just hang on and survive as Christians. We're, how many of you are glad the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
And God will help us to say no to these fleshly lusts even in very difficult times that we live in today. And we need to get serious about our obedience to God concerning these areas of fleshly lust. So we just say no. Now the other thing that we're called to in our living is not just to say no, just to say no, but we're to say no to help others say yes. We're to say no so that we can help others say yes. We are to abstain from fleshly lusts so that we can have a good testimony before those who don't know Jesus so that they will say yes to Jesus. How many of you understand one of the main reasons why many people say, I don't care about what the Bible has to say, I don't care about going to church, I don't care about what Jesus has to say, is they'll say this, because of the way Christians live. Because of the way Christians live their lives. Now, I understand that sometimes that's just a cop-out, and sometimes that's just a convenient excuse. And by the way, how many of you know there are no excuses for not coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? But listen, I don't want in my life to be a stumbling block to anybody who needs to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what Peter says here in verse number 12. Having your conversation, that's your manner of living, that's your behavior. Have it honorable among the Gentiles. Have it honorable among those who don't know the Lord. That whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, your good living, your, your, your obedience to God, your witness that's lived out before their lives, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is my hope. The friends I know, the neighbors I know, the co-workers I know, especially the co-workers I know, um, The family I know, I hope they come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my desire. That's my goal. That's my prayer. And so I want to live in such a way that when the Holy Spirit of God really gets a hold of their heart and visits their life and convinces them of their sin and brings them under the conviction of their need of salvation, that they'll say, you know what? I need God in my life because Brian has God in his life and I see what God's doing through Brian's life. And I want that kind of life. And you, as a believer, should live that kind of a life that says no to fleshly lust so that others might say yes to the God that they can see in your life. Can I remind you of this? You might be the only Jesus the people around you ever see. You might be the only Jesus that people around you ever see. And so you don't want your life filled up with all the other garbage that exists in this world. You want to abstain from fleshly lust, say no, so that others will say yes. So we find here that Peter encourages us as pilgrims to have a purposed manner of living. Secondly, I want us to see this morning that Peter encourages us to have a purposed submitting in our life. A purposed submitting in our life. Now, I'm going to read these verses, and I understand the context and tenor of what we're going through culturally right now. And I think it's good that we're reading these verses to remind ourselves of the disposition that we should have toward authority that's over us. And I want to give a couple of disclaimers before I read this passage, and then we'll dig into it and we'll break it down, okay? 
hey, listen, I understand that there are things going on in our nation and in our country that we would prefer not be happening right now. I firmly believe, uh, honestly, that there are nefarious things at play, and I do believe that there are certain overreaches that are taking place to compromise certain freedoms and even freedoms concerning how we worship our God. And I believe those things are in play right now. But I also believe this. I also believe that God ordains authority, and where we are able to, we need to obey that authority. And even where we're not able to, the Bible tells us it's better to obey God rather than to obey man. These writers of passages like this went and preached in cities where it was outlawed, and they were thrown into jail. So they didn't follow everything that happened in those cities because it went against the law of God. But I believe this, you'll see in every instance, they had the proper demeanor, they had the proper testimony, they had the proper attitude as they lived out their faith. So let's read about this proper submission and the purpose that God has for it in our lives. I think it'll help us today. Notice with me as we continue here with verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, and notice this, for the Lord's sake. So this is the understanding that God is a God of order. How many of you are glad that our God does things decently and in order? And leadership is about order. And as God ordains authority and as God ordains leadership, he does it for the purpose of giving order to that which he's created. So the reason that we have human government today is because the Bible says it's been ordained by God as part of the order that he's created in his culture. And it is meant to be good, and it is meant to be beneficial to mankind. In fact, the purposes, really, and they're small, they are small, and I believe this. The purposes for that type of governmental authority are very, very specific. Notice it's even mentioned here. Go down a little bit further to verse number 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. Or unto the governors as unto them that are sent by the king for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. This is the purpose of governmental authority. It is law and order. The purpose for governmental authority is to really carry out the laws that have been ordained in that culture and to hold them in regard and then to praise those who do well. And, and I'm a big limited government guy. I believe that our founding fathers were big limited government guys. And I believe that government intervention should be limited to order in a culture. This is the calling that God has placed on government. And I believe that when government does that well, co countries and cultures thrive. But when government doesn't do that well, then we have to, in a gracious and graceful spirit... Uh, obey God rather than obeying men. So, so we've got to keep these things in mind. But let's focus this morning on the attitude and the understanding of how we as Christians are to approach those who are in authority over us. Notice with me again, verse number 13, submit. We should submit. Hey, we live in a culture today that is so contentious that you have your politician you like and they have their politician they like and if you don't like their politician or if you don't like that person in authority, everything they do now is suddenly bad. 
I don't have to obey any laws now because the person that's in charge I don't agree with and I think they're a tyrant and I think this, that, or the other thing. So I'm just going to have a really stinky attitude about uh, authority. I'm going to have a really stinky attitude about laws and I'm just going to do my own thing from now on. It doesn't matter what they say because they're wrong anyway. Well, that's not the attitude we're supposed to have. We're still supposed to have an attitude of submission. How many of you understand just because we might not agree with everything that administration says, you probably still can drive 25 in a school zone? Actually, that'd probably be wrong. 15 in a school zone is probably what it is. I always set mine five. Well, I don't know. I tell you all my sins. Um, that's neither here nor there. But the submission... Listen, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't say, I don't like that this person got elected. I don't like what they're doing in office. I don't agree with their stance on this. And how many of you understand they are going to give an account before God at a much higher level than anybody else because they are leaders and they're doing the wrong thing. And God says this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And I wouldn't want to be on that end of things. But what's our calling? Is it to be ugly? Is it to, to speak evil all the time about somebody? Is it to be gossipy? Is it to refuse to pray for those who are in leadership? Is that our attitude? Is that what our heart should be? Should it be to be in contention with everybody, even in the family of God, that doesn't agree with with what I think about this person or that political party or that person that's in office? Am I supposed to just be abrasive and, man, I'm just going to combat everything that comes at me from anybody in this place or that place? No, that's not the attitude that we're called to have. We are called to have an attitude of submission. We should submit to the things that we're able to submit to in the Lord. And we should do it with a good attitude and a good spirit. Notice what it says here. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. It's the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, there are stances that I'm taking. There are stances that you are taking all the time as you walk in your relationship with the Lord. But this is one thing that I pray I don't do. I pray that I don't present myself in such a way that people see my ugliness instead of God's truth. I don't want to present myself in such a way that people see my ugliness instead of God's truth. I'm going to say it one more time because I want one more amen on that one. I don't want to present myself in such a way that people see my ugliness instead of God's truth. I think that's so important because what Peter's writing here is about our Christian testimony. He's writing about how do we respond under pressure? Because if we respond just like the lost world responds when they're under pressure, how will people see any difference in our life? And listen, I take strong stands on things. You've heard me preach. I will tell it how it is. I will speak the truth. But I'm never going to get up here and start burning, you know, people in effigy and cursing out people and, and running people down to the extent that I no longer honor the office or honor the call of God. I'm not going to do that because I want people not to see my personal anger and frustration. I want people to see the truth of Jesus. 
And so sometimes we need to do a self-check on where our attitude goes. Because how many of you know, at least for me, we live in a culture that's more contentious than I ever remember it being. We live in a culture that's more hostile in language and in demeanor and in just ugliness than I ever remember being a part of. And, and how is God going, how, how are people going to see God's light in us if we bl- block it out with all the ugliness of the world? So yes, we need to stand for truth. And yes, we need to stand for what's right, but we need to do it with a submissive, godly attitude. A submissive, godly attitude. There are things that even our current administration may say or do. I'm waiting for it, but they might. That I can just praise and get behind and say, that's where I'm at. That's, I will follow. I will submit. I will engage. That doesn't go against the word of God. That doesn't go against the liberties that God has presented. That, that's good. That's good. And we should have a proper attitude. It's the will of God, and it puts to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Notice verse 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So Peter is writing to church people who are watching Peter and other preachers preach in cities where it's against the law, holding church services in places where it's against the law. And it's easy then to look at that and say, well, you're living against the law in that area, so I'm going to live against the law in areas I choose to be malicious in. And I'm going to use my liberty in God as a cloak of of deceit and a cloak of, of lust so that I can just say, oh, I'm going to do what I want to do in God, just like you're doing what you want to do in God, and I'm going to infract the laws over here. And, and Peter's saying, no, that's not our attitude. We're preaching Christ even in an environment where we could be persecuted or jailed because God has called us to preach, and that's here in his word, and it's better to obey God rather than men. That doesn't mean you can drive 55 in a school zone. That doesn't mean that you don't have to pay your taxes. That doesn't mean that you can do this, that, or the other thing and then just say, I'm doing it because I'm a Christian. Don't use your liberty as a cloak to cover up the infractions of the law that you want to commit and just say, I'm free in God to do what I want to do. That should not be the attitude that we have. In fact, this is the attitude and this is the demeanor we should have. Honor all men, verse 17, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I was talking about something that was trying to be done or a law that was trying to be passed or an agenda that was trying to be pushed with somebody. And I was talking about how I was against it and how I would fight it and how I would stand up against it from the word of God because I believe that it violated the word of God. And then I said, but I'm still going to pray for that leader. And this person said, that is the most hypocritical thing I've ever heard in my life. How could you be so against somebody like that and then say you'll pray for him? And I said, I'm commanded to. It's the will of God. I need to honor the position that God has put in place because God's the one who put it in place. And in every level of authority, whether it's in the home or it's in government or it's in culture, you have leadership. And as that leadership follows God, we're to follow that leadership. Where that leadership doesn't follow God, we're still to follow God. The following goes straight up to God. And my desire as a leader is to be in alignment with God. So those that follow me are following the things of God in my home, in my church, in my community. And Peter's saying, listen, 
There may come points where you have to follow God instead of men, but you still need to have this attitude of honor and love and respect because it's part of our witness. It's part of our purpose as a believer. Lastly, and we'll be done very quickly, we see purposed suffering, purposed suffering. The rest of this chapter, we don't have time to read it again, is about the suffering of Christ. Many times we feel like, man, I'm suffering. I shouldn't have to suffer, and so I'm going to rebel. And if our rebellion is just so we don't have to suffer, then, then that's, that's not really following in the steps of Christ. How many of you are glad that Jesus went all the way to the cross for you and for me? And these verses speak beautifully about his suffering, how he was reviled and he reviled not again, how he laid down his very life for you and for me. So we see, first of all, in this purpose of suffering, we see our calling. Notice with me, if you would, as we begin reading with verse number 21, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. We're called to suffering. Listen, if you're a believer, you're called to su- I don't like suffering. I don't either. But we're called to it. Why? Because Jesus suffered for us. And if we're going to be a witness and a testimony, if we're going to have a ministry like Jesus' ministry, if we're going to live godly in this present world, the Bible says that we will suffer persecution. It's our calling. But not only is it our calling, we see his example. Notice at the end of verse 21, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. What is the example? Well, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You can stand for what's right and still not sin. You can stand for what's right and have a good spirit. You can stand for what's right and honor the king. You can stand for what's right and not be bitter and angry and violent and frustrated and fleshly, you can stand for what's right and still be a light. We don't have to get ugly. I love this example that Jesus gave. Notice what it says here in verse number 24. No, verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When they were mocking him, he didn't mock back. He didn't mock back. When he was spit on, he didn't spit back in their faces. When he was slapped, he didn't slap them back. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. How many of you know that Jesus could have probably handed down some pretty, pretty neat threats? Like, you just wait, buddy. You know, some guy yanks out a piece of his beard. You just wait, buddy. I got 10,000 angels ready to come on you. He never said that. Never threatened. Notice, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. What does it mean? He said, these people are doing this to me. I'm going to commit that not to my own vengeance and violence. I'm going to commit that to the God that said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. He's going to do justly by me. He's going to do righteously by me. That should be our attitude. Notice what it says here. Who, verse 24 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 5, starting with verse number 11. The verse is on the screen. Notice with me. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice 
and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is, this is part of that calling. This is part of that understanding as we live for God. There is going to be pressure and there's going to be things that come against us. And we have a purpose in that. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to suffer. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That sounds ridiculous to the world. Blessed are you if you suffer when people have no cause to say evil against you? Yeah, blessed are you. Because how many of you understand this world is not the place of blessing? Our Father's abode is the place of blessing. And I hope that one day we're able to stand before him, even going through times that are of intense pressure, and he's able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant.